Welcome back to Forever Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleepin. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with two guys that I always love talking to, Stu Brower from WTF Gym Talk and Gabe Giannis from Team NC Fit to talk about the ABCs of selling. Now, when you think about the ABCs, you can look at that as like an overall education. You could also look at that as always be closing. We talked today about sales. In particular, for you gym owners, for coaches out there, this is a great conversation that we had. I definitely think everyone should listen to. We talk about can a coach be a salesman? We talk about following up with leads, how to do so. And then Stu dropped something I thought was pretty interesting, which was awareness, consideration, purchase as the three stages in the buying process. And we finished it off by talking about different models in this fitness space and what we could learn from each one. I think that if you're in the micro gym space, if you're in the boutique gym space, if you're in the CrossFit, functional training space, whatever you want to call it, this is a great conversation to listen to. I really got a lot out of it. I hope you do as well. If you do, simple ask, very, very simple. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. It helps the podcast. It helps us know what type of episodes you like. So take a screenshot, hit us up on social. Also, wherever you listen to podcasts out, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate that. And without any further ado, let's dive into a great episode with two awesome guys, Stu Brower, Gabe Yanez. Let's go. All right, we have Stu and Gabe on the show. We're going to be diving into all things sales related. I'm sure it's going to get into a bunch of business type related. If you're a gym owner out there and you uh, are looking for some inspiration, some concepts, some ideas, this is a great podcast for you. Let's dive right in. Um, Stu, we listened to your podcast um, that you did uh, where you were chopping it up with the, um, you were basically giving your insight based on a podcast that the guys from uh, best hour of your day did. And it just kind of sparked this conversation between Gabe and I about in particular sales. Now over the last, I don't know, decade, we've taken different approaches at NC fit to sales. We've had situations where we're having the coaches train sell. We've had no salesmen. We've had no front desk. We've had it all. And as of recently, we've um, em empowered one team member to really take on the sales role. And I think it's been incredibly beneficial for our organization. So I just want to talk through the idea of can a coach also be a salesman or, or saleswoman, or should you identify someone specifically with those skill sets and really utilize them? So just hot on my mind. Let's start rapping about sales. Yeah. I, so I've seen it done both ways successfully. Jay Shu and I come from the global gym world where there was a dedicated sales guy, right? There was that guy and, and his goal was to, you know, you, someone lines him up, he knocks him down. He's doing the lead follow-up. He's doing the tours and selling. The thing that's nice, if you, if you have the bandwidth, and again, the, I think the reason most micro gyms and the boutique gyms don't go this route is because, again, we're, we're doing everything I can to preserve that margin, right? Like 20-ish percent is, is small enough, and then I add another sales guy on top of the coaches, on top of the, the you know, customer service manager. It's a lot. But think about it. I mean, coaches – become if you know when developed right and i know nc fit you guys do this they become really damn good at coaching like really good and they're perfecting that craft constantly sales is similar and if you think you're going to be leonardo with just the two swords and you're going to be able to do both of these like at an a plus level it's difficult and sales is not something most people naturally fall into like very few people picked up a brian tracy book 
Brian Tracy is a phenomenal, one of the godfathers of selling. Most coaches picked up, you know, a Chris Henshaw podcast or Starting Strength by Mark Ripito. Like they went that route. Yeah, so now we're yeah, trying yeah. to add this other level of, and you could, you could create a four year, which I don't understand why there isn't. Maybe there is. You could create a four year undergrad, like bachelor's in sales. That, that's how much there is to learn about that process and the psychology of sitting across from somebody and trying to part with part their money from them. I love the Ninja Turtles. Uh, was that a Ninja Turtles uh, analogy the reference? There? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Aging myself. You know, one of the things that we learned, Stu, in kind of going through these different iterations of trying to really get sales dialed in at our commercial locations was exactly what you just said. I mean, you know, we went into it naively at the time thinking that, hey, you know, well, you know, I come from sales and am the sales director can do a little bit of sales training with the coaches. We can write up a couple of scripts, go through a couple of, you know, um, practice interactions and that's it. Send them off to the races because they're very capable, very smart individuals. Right. But I think that one thing that we quickly learned and it was exactly what you said, you know, they are some of the best coaches on the planet because we focus on that every single day with everything we do. We have a whole service that's essentially what we do to develop coaches, the NCFIT Collective. And to think that we could have them now also be just as good at sales with a couple webinars and a couple calls and a couple scripts was something we, we quickly learned wasn't the case. 24 units in a day. Right. So 24 units. And we all know our pop times. The popular times in a micro gym are going to be your AMs, maybe an afternoon pop and then your evenings. So if you want to say if you want a coach to get good at sales, he's got to get reps in. Well, when are those reps going to happen when a prospect comes in and when do prospects come in, they come in during those popular times. Well, now what is he not doing? He's not on the floor coaching. So you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's not like, oh, we'll have you take all the sales consults from 1.30 p.m. till 3 p.m. Yeah, there's not a lot of those, right? So it, it is, it's hard too, just from the idea of like the time when you're gonna have the most tours and consults and that kind of thing are gonna be those prime time coaching hours. And now you're having to move someone, you know, out of that position. And then I think it comes down, which I'd be curious for you guys. My experience has always been when I talk with a coach, very few people are motivated by like, yeah. like I love closing a sale. Like that's still, I absolutely love it. And the top 1% earners that have a W-2, are salesmen in the country, probably the world. Okay. But I, there's not a lot of coaches that, that I've met that are intrinsically naturally coaches that just love the closing of a deal. They love, yeah. you know, saying that visual verbal or tactile cue that boom, gets that person a kip or gets them this movement or that movement. Well, I think this is a really uh, important topic. And I'm curious to see um, what both of you guys think on this is first off, I think we need to demystify this idea of like being a salesperson and there's like this weird stigma to sales. And I think that in the functional training, boutiques, training space, micro gym space, there's like this idea that it's like a bad word, but I, I, I want to, we got to break that down. But I also think there's something really important that you've been talking about, Stu, which is the idea of first off, like the, a lot of people don't get into the, how do you balance a coach who thinks they want to do sales maybe because they see a revenue opportunity or whatnot, but really they don't necessarily have the skill set or the desire, but they think that's the next like step for them. I think that's what we struggle with, right, Gabe? I mean, we found, we put out to our coaches who wanted to do this and we had people who wanted to opt in, but I think they like think it's something they have to do, but they really don't want to do it. They're almost like forcing themselves. Did you, 
is that what happened with us, Gabe? I mean, and then we kind of transitioned out of that. And how do we balance that? I'm curious what Stu thinks after your perspective there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think the answer is in part what we already mentioned, and that it's it's really tough and takes a lot of time, reps, and patience for people to be too good at two, you know, kind of very different skill sets. And I think that in theory, you know, in the beginning when we put this out, you know, we thought that it would be a natural transition or an easier transition because, you know, if you're taking class with me and I knock your socks off in class, I should be the most well-equipped person to after that trial class or after that first experience, be able to sell you on coming back, right? Like you just enjoyed the experience with me and I kind of know like what your goals are and kind of sell you on that specifically. A lot of things that, you know, our friend Sean Pastouche over at Active Life talks about, right? Um, but, you know, that just ended up not being the case. And I think that a big thing was, you know, that that lack of motivation for something that, you know, is tough. Sales is really hard. You know, it's, it's they're uncomfortable conversations. And, you know, a lot of times you will maybe not get a response or get someone that like needs to think about it and then you never hear back. And I think that that's where I've seen sales roles or people just kind of, um, you know, burn out in those positions. It's, you know, they're not ready for how many reps it takes and how many no's it takes to kind of really get some momentum going. And I think that that's kind of what we ran into. I always, uh, so when I would have, when I was doing work with Globo Gyms, I'd go into a personal training department with low sales and I'd, I'd get all the trainers together and I'm like, who wants to get good at sales? And everyone was like hands half up, half down. They didn't really know. They, they wanted more money, but they weren't really sure if sales were for them. I'd yeah. say, go, go watch these two movies, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross boiler room watch those two movies yeah. come back and then tell me if you think sales is for you not that it's going to be coffee is for closers and it's going to be like that kind of a thing but it does give you like does your personality align with that and there were some that came back like yep that is not me that's like it makes my skin crawl and others that are like bro when can we start let's get going now and it's interesting you know thinking about i was listening to what gay was saying i think i got better at sales further along when I owned CrossFit South End, a couple of years in, because what I found is I was able to take a coach, a thing that was happening to my coaching, and maybe some of the coaches that are listening to this can relate to it, and I translated the sales. So a couple of years in the CrossFit South End, I'm now getting people who are, you know, maybe a little more versed in CrossFit, they're kind of intermediate to good, whatever you want to call, and they'd be doing movement X. And I know as a coach, you don't need to be doing movement acts. You, you need to be doing strict dips or you need to be doing this. And I would have to go and all sales is, is taking my influence and experience and getting you to change what you were doing or to do something different based on what I'm telling you. And so I would go ahead and I'd get, you know, Johnny who's doing, you know, this movement that I don't think he needs to be doing. And I would sell him on doing something that I thought was safer, more mm -hmm. efficient or a better, you know, better movement. And I'd have to close him on doing that. And if I could convince this kid full of testosterone and, you know, with his rich froning posters on the wall to, to change <laughs> his, his model, like what he had in his head, I could convince Sally when she walked in the door and she's currently enrolled at a cycle studio, but she's knows she needs some resistance training. And I can sell her how this is the best combination of the two worlds of strength and conditioning and where you're versus where you're just getting conditioning at your spin studio, so on and so forth. So for any of the coaches listening, if you've ever had to convince a hard headed client about changing the way they're doing something. That's one of the hardest things to do. You probably have more sales acumen than you think. Yeah. And at the end of the day, sorry to cut you off, Jay, you know, uh, confidence is a big part of sales. So just understanding the fact that, Hey, I have more of this toolkit than maybe I'm giving myself credit for. It could be a huge step in the right direction to help people get comfortable with approaching the conversation of, Hey, you had a great class. Now, what do you want to do now? We have a monthly membership and a 10 session pack. What can we set you up?
Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, though, Stu. Like, I appreciate that perspective. Like, really, as a coach, yesterday I was on the phone with one of our members, and she she had some questions about some of our programming, and I'm, I'm just talking to her. But really what I'm doing, to your point, is I, I'm, I'm kind of selling her, right? And it, I wasn't – she's already a member. She's already paying. She's already whatever. I'm just trying to provide insight, right, and uh, and hopefully have her along this journey with us. So I think when, pe- when coaches in particular look at sales and, you know – I think that there's this, uh, in the, in the functional training space, right? It's so community driven. We talk about community all the time. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, vibes and community are very, very important, but ultimately we need to also pay our bills and we need to create trajectory for our coaches, create trajectory for our business and sales, marketing, getting new leads is a huge part of that. And I think that there's this stigma that if you're trying to go out there and attract new leads and that if you're, you know, following up with them more than one time, you're being too pushy or whatnot. So I want to kind of demystify this idea of like that sales is bad because I mean, I guess the way I look at it is like, I believe that our gyms can change someone's life. I I really believe that. I think our program could be dramatically impactful and I've seen it firsthand for the last 15 years. It's our responsibility to kind of, they already took that first step by engaging with us. Now we should continue to follow up. And so I'm curious from what you've seen is like how much is too much and how much isn't enough because, and then, and then let's go into some, some tactics because I know that Gabe and I, at NC fit, we've incorporated quite a few systems and procedures through COVID that have really been helpful for us, but how much is too much and what is like really hard selling versus like trying to just be pleasantly persistent, you know? Yeah. I've got a grade for how much is too much. And I think I need to frame it up with, um, I had, I had a training director and he had seven consults on the books that day throughout the whole day. And I came in at the end of the day and he goes, Stu, no sales were made today. I, I know you're disappointed. And I said, well, that that's wrong, man. Actually seven sales were made today. Seven people sold you on some bullshit reason as to why they weren't going to join our gym. So everyone, you're so, there's a sale happen at every transaction. You want your girlfriend to go watch this movie on Netflix with you and she doesn't want to watch it. And she sells you on, no, we're watching this instead. Like she closed you. Like there's always a sale to be made here, guys. So it's an inevitable, an inevitable. It just depends what end of the spectrum you'll be on. But to go to this, I always think, I call this boyfriend-girlfriend analogy. So imagine you, uh, you're single. And there is a girl, and let, let's just do a college setting, and she's on campus, and she's got she's got a, a boyfriend, though. So you're always respectful. You're not trying to do anything sleazy. But whenever you see her, you make sure to say hi. And you guys have exchanged numbers. You're friends. You've hang out together. You, like, text her on her birthday. And, you know, she sees you around. You're always very friendly because you know one day that boyfriend is probably not going to be in the picture if we're all being honest with ourselves. And who will she think of? She'll think of that guy who's always been really nice to her and has always been very <laughs> never been overly, you know, too aggressive and sleazy. And he will be there. And that's how I teach follow-ups we follow up with a lead until they die buy, or tell us they get lost it's very simple and if you continuously just follow up with just a little nudge hey i'm around right i uh, i still subscribe to i get uh, marcus's uh functional bodybuilding um newsletters every week i am not a customer of marcus's at functional bodybuilding however one day if i'm ever looking to switch it up he has sent me a newsletter or a text or I've seen the YouTube video consistently. He's never been overly aggressive. He hasn't hard tried to hard close me. But the day I'm thinking of maybe switching things up, I might think, you know what, Marcus is like, I've watched seven of those YouTube videos already. They were really helpful. 
I've seen some of those workouts. They seem pretty cool. I might go ahead and take him out on a date, right? I might try his service to get back to that boyfriend, girlfriend analogy, but it's like always being just right there, reminding them you reached out to me first. I'm just trying to make sure everything's cool until they die bye, or tell you to piss off. And I, dude, I, I love that. And I think that really breaks down something that I've said to our team in the past. And I forgot where I read this, but similar idea in that, you know, the sale happens when it's the right person, right message, right time. And the more you can bury the messages and the time, like eventually those three are going to coincide. It might not be that first time, but if someone signed up for your newsletter, if someone, you know, filled out a form to come check out a free class, they're probably the right person or more than likely are the right person. Now you have to get the message and the time and how are you going to get those three to coincide if it's one email or one console? They're like, eh, not ready right now. And then that's it, right? On to the next one. That's a good data point though. So one thing I try to teach owners is once you get like a CRM and you have a really good system for text message, emails, and phone calls, and you can track all that is to start recording how many touch points, individual touch points on either of those three mediums are made prior to a sale. Mm -hmm. And based on the, the data that I've seen, you're talking double digits, at least double, double digits. digits, double digits for yeah. someone you got a text because there's 86,000 400 seconds in a day and the odds that that text message you sent someone and they didn't reply that coach who's maybe doing sales roles is like oh, i'm annoying them they didn't text me back no buddy no the red the, the the green light turned red their kids started whining right their boss walked in or they had to jump on that zoom call like you know uh, uh jace will shoot me a text and i might not get back to him for a couple hours and i want to see what jason had to say i want to you know you know jack you know talk with my buddy but i've got other stuff going on there's only eighty six thousand four hundred seconds in a day and they're generally all tied up so you have to stay consistent with stuff i mean we've all has anyone ever been annoyed that text messages can't be left unread right like emails can like i wish text messages cuz i'll read an email a text message like oh man i'm going to get back to jason and then my kid starts you know you know wilding out over here and i got to go yes. do that you know yes yes but, yes but like you talk to your coaches about like you're not annoying anybody they saw it and they may or may not get back to you but hit them again next week and do it with something different don't robo spam the same thing make it actually valuable with uh urban we would always ask people what what's your what are you most interested in at urban movement it'd be like we're interested in this 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 or whatever whatever it is that follow-up was always like, hey, I know you said you were really interested in like barbell work. Here's a cool article we wrote on this bar barbell base the following week. Hey, did you see this video we just did on this? By the way, that offer's still on the free table for you to come get a free week. Like it was always kind of curated. And um, and that always made, I think people, at least my team, made them feel less annoying than just yeah. like sending that robo spam. Yeah. But let's, let's dive into this for just a quick second. So Gabe always had this idea that seven touch points, you're and, in the, the, the double and, digits. And that's, and that's what I was going to say. And that's why it's a really interesting data point from you, Stu, who, you know, you've worked different gyms and you're, you're a little bit more well-versed in these numbers with some different um, locations, because that seven is something that pops up a lot in the e-commerce world, which is sure. where I come from. It's the seven touch points yep. through ads, social medias for them to convert. But it does actually make sense that in our space, because it's a little bit of a more, um, you know, there's more to that purchasing decision it makes complete sense that it would be in the double digits. And, you know, I think that's a really important point to highlight because, you know, I know we had this experience when we were talking with our coaches taking over sales. You mentioned that, hey, we want to touch base with these people three times in a row the first three days, then move them to like two days apart, then go weekly, then go monthly to get all those touch points in. And you kind of get people looking at you like deer in headlights. They're like, but that's yeah. a lot. 
but it's not right. It really isn't. It's actually necessary. Yeah. And Go this ahead, is a really, this is a really cool point though, because whether it's seven, 11 or 13, it's more than one, right? Like it's more than two, it's more than three. And, and so I'm curious and Stu, like, you know, one of the takeaways that I had from your podcast that you were doing the other day about the, um, just one of the podcasts you're doing was in particular, you're saying, Hey, look, you expose yourself to a lot of different industries, right? You've, I mean, in the fitness space, you've done your homework. You, you've then learned from the guys at Orange Theory or this model or this model, not just the CrossFit space. And I think that when you are in the functional training space, let's just take the CrossFit space, which a lot of people listen to the show. It becomes daunting to think about a task where you have to follow up with somebody 10, 12 times. So what's the recommendation? Where do people even start on this process? Because you have a gym owner, you have a head coach you have two other coaches and you want to grow your business, but you're in the business a lot and you're not working on the business that often. So maybe potentially you're not answering the phones. You're not getting back to emails as well. I'm curious. What's the first step that you've seen going from zero to like one, because I think what we're talking about is some strategies. Once you've already kind of had some things in place, then you need to continue follow up. But what if you're not even answering your phone or answering the emails in the first place? I mean, obviously the answer is do it. So before Stu, before you answer, the first thing people have to do is offload their programming to the NC Fit Collective so that they're not wasting any time writing 2159. But but after they do that, Stu, what should (laughs) they do? But once you've gone and you've subscribed to the NC Fit Collective, which you 100% should. uh, So I want to go back to Gabe's just real point. So. Um, when I was giving that double digit, at least, because there's three stages to the buying cycle, there's awareness, consideration, and purchase. So someone becomes aware of the brand. Well, that took a ton of posts and YouTube videos and podcasts or being just physically present with signs out front for someone just to become aware of you. And then maybe they go to that website and they want to consider you. So they send that lead form in. And then it takes maybe the seven touch points, maybe once we hit just in consideration, like, okay, I volunteered my name, email, and phone number. And now it's going to take you seven, t- you know, two text messages, three emails, four phone calls or whatever to get them into a pop- possibility for them to purchase. So again, across those three stages, awareness, consideration, and purchase, the first sale that has to be made in the brick and mortar industry, and everyone needs to understand this, it's my number one KPI when I work with a gym. Did they walk into the door? That's it. Nobody, like Gabe comes from e-com world. And I'll tell you this, man, I wish I could have Gabe, you know, just crushing e-com gym membership sales for me online. That's not the case, though. These are brick and mortar, $200 a month type gyms. And these are direct response marketing and direct response sales. I mean, you got to be right in front of the person. So um, I think that the the touch points and everyone, you know, when we're thinking about this, I don't care if it's seven or 53, the number one, the first sale. Get them in the door, have them go from prospect or from lead to prospect. That's the number one. But you're right, Jace. You know, uh, besides the bare minimum, the duh answer, which is guys pick up the phone and things like that, if we want to get real tactical with it. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm not a fan of automation for the sake of automation. I like automation when it is time for you to not uh for you to be backed out. So I we had our CRM um automated to fire and do its thing from the time the, bi- the business day was closed, my staff was done to when we opened. So Got I don't it. want myself or any of my coaches, you know, having to answer a 9 p.m. lead. I like I that you're with your family, whatever. That's that's when automation's in. Now you'll see a lot of smart logic-based automation. I would talk a lot with the guys over at Push Press, and you've seen this in other CRM platforms, where 
the lead comes in and let's say it's a Monday at 2 p.m. So I've got live bodies that can talk, but the lead comes in at 2 p.m. There should be an automated email that instantly gets kicked out and an automated text that instantly goes. It shouldn't sound spammy though. So the, the text message flow should be multiple texts that sound like when, okay, Jay's text me like, yo, bro, enter. Hey man, I saw the podcast, enter. Dude, that shit was really good, enter. That's how your text messages should go. Not what you've ever seen text message paragraphs yeah. that are automated. They read like emails. Yeah. They're like, dear. Oh, hey, Stu, you know, Jason here at NC Fit. Glad you went to the website. We'd love to have you come in. I know a robot sending that. And if it's a real human, I don't want anything to do with them because you sound like a dork. <laughs> like, so I what I always want is that automated one. And I, I always had self-aware automation. So in the message, hey, listen, by the way, this is our robo right now. Our robo is just hitting you with this, but a coach is actually going to be getting to you immediately within probably the next couple minutes to go ahead and answer any personalized questions you have. But acknowledge like, hey, listen, I know we're shooting you a robo, but I'm going to have a coach follow up. And again, if it's during business hours, there should be somebody who is commanding the CRM and is able to jump on that thing. And the nice thing about most CRMs is it's kind of agnostic if seven staff members have the app. They could all see what each other are texting. So anybody can pick up the app and play and, and pick up where the other previous coach or salesperson left off. But yes, it's got to be quick. You know, my sales training was always, Stu, if a lead comes in, you got three minutes or it's gone, right? Like you've lost that hot lead. And I believe that in the sense that all leads are emotional, not rational. People aren't like, huh, you know what? I, my belly's kind of big. I, I should call a gym. Yeah, that's a smart idea. I'm going to Google a gym. Okay, I'm going to call this gym now. That's not how it goes. Like, they know they need to go to a gym. They've seen your gym. It was an emotional reaction because um, their their kid came home with their friend from grade school, and the friend was, you know, he's a kid. He doesn't know anybody. He says, hey, you got a fat mommy. And mommy yeah. went and cried in the bathroom for two hours by herself, and guess what she did while she was sitting there? She opened up her phone. She Googled gym near me, and the first thing that looked good, she popped up and called, and it's emotional. So that three-minute timeline or so that you hear, like when people say you have this much time to get on, it's like the anabolic window for post-workout shake after you work out. Like You got this finite timeline to actually capitalize on it. Is true only because people are in a sense of emotion. Mommy's crying right now, and in the next five minutes, you could close that deal and get her to come in. Or she gets a phone call from her aunt and her uncle just died. Now she's, Man, not, she's not even going to think about it yet. Where do you even come up with this? I, I, you know, so, hey, Gabe, right now, um, just well, to kind of like. It's funny because I'm, I'm actually reading tangent but small tangent because I think that's what Stu does really well, reading a parenting book. And it just one of the things that it said <laughs> was to use, use the extreme to explain the subtle. And it's a really powerful thing. And that's, that's what Stu does with these stories. And I think that's what makes him powerful is using extreme examples to explain something that probably in reality happens a lot more subtly, but it just, it gets the point across. Anyway. So for a parenting book, it's like, Hey, don't touch fire. Cause you might burn yourself. Like, like, like my, like my son at your house, my son, we were at, we were at Gabe's ranch and my son fell in to a, a bonfire and uh, he ended up parental some, supervision like, is going on dude, at this. <laughs> dude, oh, he man. ended up getting some really bad burns. And the problem was it was just me by myself with the two kids. I didn't have my wife there. And and uh, anyways, that was a whole nother conversation. Like your son is uh, to be traumatized. If it's not Mark Bell breaking his toys, it's Gabe letting him <laughs> fall into a fire. Yeah. Your son's going <laughs> to he's dude. just going to have PTSD. Oh my gosh. And and so, Hey, I, uh, right. Um, Gabe right now from a sales perspective, you know, we've had a lot of ebbs and flows. Um, you know, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, we did it one way and now here we are 
I actually think we have the best way right now. Now, granted, we have multiple locations, so it is a little bit different than maybe a single owned and operated. But I'm curious, what are we currently doing? What have we seen successful? And I'm talking about like like practical application for our business. We are now seeing our gyms, you know, really grow coming back out of COVID. We got hit pretty hard. Um, what in particular is working well? And I'm curious to hear Stu's kind of feedback on that. Yeah. So, I mean, just taking a little step back from that, you know, I think in a lot of gyms out there and businesses in general can probably relate to this, you know, COVID kind of forced us to take a very, very, you know, detailed look under the hood of what we were doing on the sales side, because the reason we, you know, NC Fit didn't have this really structured and dialed in prior is because, you know, we were kind of complacent and happy and like things were going good enough that, you know, we had our coaches rocking and rolling and we had, front desk staff that if a lead came in, they would be like, oh, just leave your email and our general manager will eventually get back to you. And, you know, obviously looking at that now, like that is so much missed opportunity. But, you know, one of the positives that came out of being hit pretty hard, like you said, is, hey, we have to like really take a look at where can we do better? Because it's not like people were flocking back into the gyms the second we opened back up in the Bay Area. So, just kind of taking a step back that this has been very much out of necessity, but a really good exercise for us to go through. I think that where we're at now is working really well in that A, we've identified someone that is solely responsible for sales. She started as a front desk person at one of our locations, was someone that the team identified as someone meticulous and very organized with a lot of good follow through. And she's the one that's kind of taken on that role now. And again, this works for us because that one role is spread across three locations. Um, so I think that it makes it a little bit easier where I understand that that might not be the easiest thing for a single location to do. Um, and aside from that, it's just been pretty much everything that we've been talking about, right? It's having a system of, hey, we're following up with people until they tell us to leave them alone or until they buy or die, like Stu said. And I think that that alone is what we've done so far. And we're going to keep streamlining, figure out like, how can we make the message seem more authentic? And how can we mention, you know, make it seem um, more personalized? And I really like what Stu said, the one thing that I wrote down about making getting people in the door a KPI that we're measuring. I think that that's really good. But that's where we're at now. We still have, you know, steps to go. But um, obviously, we're in a much better place than we were, I would say, even a few months ago when we were trying to, you know, get a, a square peg in a, in a round hole a little bit with trying to have the, the coaches really own this. So offsite sales uh, people, like again, like what you guys are doing is is incredibly smart. I love it. You've identified someone who's naturally good at sales. This person is now able to do, literally, they could do it from home. They're doing the lead nurture, the follow-ups, the phone calls, the text messages, and then they're contacting location number two and saying, hey, you got four appointments booked for tomorrow. Right. Like this offsite, you know, it, typically we see this in business like outbound outbound sales would be when someone is cold calling upon somebody who has not expressed interest in the business yet. That's what we call outbound sales. But in this scenario, I'm assuming all these are warm leads. They've gone to a landing page or a website or something yep. to maybe even have her doing the whole thing, which it, it's a lot of work. It's gorilla as hell. That's why I love it. It's like when someone follows NC fit, like if you have like the NC fit individual locations, someone follows it. You instantly go look at their account. Are they local? If they're local, you send a DM. Hey, thanks so much for following us, blah, blah, blah. What gym you work out at? Or what do you do for a workout? And just engage there because there's no warmer lead 
than if they're local than someone who follows you on Instagram. That's the warmest lead you could possibly get at a digital level, you know, versus when you finally get to meet them in person. But I think that's incredibly smart. Um, I but the global gyms I used to do and some of the franchise people I've worked with have something similar. There's a remote individual. Their job is to set the appointments throughout. And this is something any gym owner listening right now, you could get on Fiverr or Gig Salad or Upwork right now, and you could just start searching like, you know, sales. You could put an outbound sales, probably bring you the most results. And you could, you technically could find someone who's like, I'm money on the phone. I don't care what it is. I'll sell everything from Cutco knives to gym memberships. I'm money on the phone. And I follow scripts really well. And I have a great, you know, I know how to do overcomes and all this other stuff. And you could pursue that route. I love the fact that I was telling Jason when we had our uh, phone call a week or two ago, I love that this person came from in, in the house. She'll be able to answer every question needed that otherwise you'd have to train an unfamiliar, you know, outsource salesperson on who doesn't know the NC fit brand and the culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, but typically leads don't have too many questions that are overly like someone would have to really, 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 really know the answer for the most part. Most leads are, they're kind of just wanting they're you know, they just want the high level information. You get them booked for the appointment and then let the person on site take care of from there. But I think what you guys are doing is great. And I think most gyms don't, I know most gyms don't do it this way. So I think you guys will create a very good case study on this after about 12 or 18 months. Yeah. How about, uh, compensation you know i think right now the way we're doing it and gabe correct me if i'm wrong um you know so gabe oversees um sales and marketing at nc fit and so uh technically everybody all these different organs a lot of people report to gabe um i think the way we're doing it right now is a salary plus a commission structure am, am, am i right on that gabe yeah yeah that's correct so there's there's a commission for everyone that gets brought in whether it's a session pack or a monthly membership um there's on bookings or on sales gabe is the commission paid only on sales good smart yep and so i'm curious um you know because i think that some people might think like hey we can't afford to have someone who's mainly focused on sales right like but i think people actually can and it does incentivize the individual to but like when I was in the conventional gym, that's how I got started. I was predominantly commission based. And if you find the right person who's inspired by that because their hard work and their effort can directly lead to income, you know, yes, I got a basic salary because I'm, there's like a, I'm sure it's like a law, like you have to get paid a certain amount, but the real money comes through commission. And I think that the reality is if the gym owner can find the right person, it's actually not that expensive because they'll offset their costs through their commissions. Um, Anyways, I just want to talk about that for a second. Yeah. So combat. So I just I just installed this. Literally, I just got off call on Tuesday on this. So um, I had a gym. Same thing. Once a salesperson doesn't think they can afford it, I recommend a salary plus commission. Now we all understand that commission pays for itself. Six hundred dollars. Let's say a gym membership. Two hundred dollars comes in, and you give X percent of it to the salesperson. So the money came in. You now have that money to cut them a percent. You're not worried about payroll budgets with commissions, but that salary piece is nice. So here's a quick tactic for anyone who's maybe thinking this. I had this gym go through and give me uh, how much money are you spending on your merchant processing. Fees, like that three and a half percent at all the merchant processors. And it came out to $755. So what we did is we, uh, starting on the first of next month, um, all memberships that want to stay on credit card, will see a 3.5% surcharge. If you'd like to come off credit card and not see that surcharge, you can go to ACH and ACH. They're getting like point, you know, whatever it is, uh, 0.8% on that or whatever it may be. So 
the majority of people stayed on credit card because they don't care. Because if anyone's done the math, 3.5% of your gym membership is not enough money for most people with a $200 a month gym membership to give a shit. And uh, guess what? That's a wash now. So that's now money. We're not, we're going to now take that money, turn it and gave a $700 a month salary to this individual to work X hours and be on call with that CRM. They're on that CRM from X hour to X hour plus commission. But that's where the $700 showed up because this gym otherwise would not have felt comfortable digging into their payroll budget an extra $700. So we went and lifted up some couch cushions and found the money. Yeah, that, that's an interesting idea. You know, uh, just for clarity's sake, I, I think three and a half percent is a little high. That person could probably negotiate it down. But I get like the whole idea is I understand we're thinking about the ACH thing, too. Um, we've struggled with that. Um, we have done rate increases. We do a three percent. We have a in our uh, contracts. We have the ability to increase rates uh, at, you know, equivalent to historically. Right. Some inflation and whatever rates at three percent. Now things are a little bit crazy, but. We haven't gone the ACH route because we've been kind of, we've been concerned that people are going to be apprehensive about giving their um, actual checking info. I think that's just our own bias. I think we should probably start offering that in the future, even though we only take credit card. Because you're right, those credit card fees add up, man. I mean, once you start doing significant amount of revenue, you're talking about thousands of dollars in fees. Who's your member management software? Who are you guys using? We're using Wattify, but we use our own... um, we brought with it our own billing system or something of that nature when we, when we did it. I think we're yeah. like at two, we're like at two and a half percent, I think. Can they just, mistaken. can they just go? I mean, as long as they can, I understand what you're saying. Cause first off, nobody knows their routing and account information, their ACH information off the top of their head. Um, I've used MindBody. I've used, I've seen Glowfox. I've used Mariana Tech. Most of these apps, most of them are going to allow the, the user to go in and update that information privately within the app themselves. And honestly, most people, like most of us who have credit cards, we do we do it with an appoints kind of system or miles or all that kind of stuff. Like I I easily be like, no, just take the three and a half percent. I need the points. Like I don't I want to use the credit card. So if you need if you need an extra four dollars, Jim, here's an extra that's what it's probably gonna come out to be. Extra four to six bucks. So yeah, um, yeah I, I bet you guys can make that transition really easy. And thirty percent of people would open the email and the rest of them wouldn't. And then the kick in, the transition would happen and nobody would ever know. Like nobody would even like you'd get one or two people to send an email like, what the fuck is this? But beyond that, it would go pretty smoothly. Yeah, we did a rate increase. So we we had legacy rates at the beginning of the year. Uh, we, we, get, we removed any legacy rates. So everybody is paying the same price for the same service at the same time. There is nobody on, you know, $100 a month and everybody else is on 226. So we, we did that in January and, uh, you know, we could we can kind of see as this next year comes up if we want to do a three percent increase. We haven't decided that. We haven't even talked about that. But we bringing everybody up to the two twenty six was like a very big lift for our company because we had we had people paying legacy rates of you know from twelve thirteen years ago. So I would definitely recommend any owner definitely doing that. So you're paying the same price for the same service. That was big for us. No, so this is kind of piloting this new this new role, this sales manager for you guys, and this is one person over three locations, correct? Yeah. Correct. What would you, and Gabe, since you're probably most closely to this, what do you think the bandwidth is? Like, how many locations with NC Fit type traffic would one person be able to handle, or like how many locations do you think you'd be able to handle? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because I think that where like right now we're so early in it that there's definitely the bandwidth 
for these three gyms, essentially all we're doing now is carrying over the expectation that we had for the coaches to do that we're splitting their time amongst obviously coaching, they program for us, they film for us. So it was a little bit different. I think that we obviously want to get to the point where this person is actually doing more and we're, we're having more touch points and being a little bit more focused on the leads that are coming in. And then I think at the ideal state that we would want to get to where we're not there yet, I, I do think that three locations is kind of the the top in terms of bandwidth. And it's like, and it's not an agnostic landing page. So in, in this model, what you guys are doing, typically it'd be like a, what I call a hostess scenario. The sales manager is the hostess leads come in and then she goes, Oh yeah, I can get you an appointment at the blank location or location number two or location number three this week. Most people are kind of selecting which location they're most interested in via their geographic. And then her job is just to get that appointment booked. Correct. So they're actually, yes, yes. So what we moved um, towards recently, and we had great success with this when the coaches were on, and this was actually what had us switch to one person because they were almost getting too many leads to really kind of handle is, and actually I took some inspiration from Matabolic who franchise that obviously you share a lot of their stuff and I, I really do like what they're doing. We moved away from a free trial class to this three for $3, sure. you know, incentive for, you know, the reasons of the psychology of it, capturing payment, it just made so much sense. So we did that. We've now made it to three for 30, just because with the three for three, we did have a lot of people that were having their friends come down to the Bay and take a class. And so just a little bit more of a deterrence from people sure. gaming the system. But right now the landing page is people actually buy their three for 30 for the specific location they're interested in. And then this person's responsibility is trying to get them to come in and book that first $10, $10 class. Yeah, correct. That's smart, man. It's smart. And for everyone listening, you know, the biggest thing there is like we at urban, we did the same thing. So it was free. It was a free week, but you had to put in your credit card information, even though it charged $0. Cause again, it's about capturing it. And then you, you should, and I believe everyone, every micro jib owner listening to this have a very strict no show and late cancellation policy. Because someone buys that 30 and they book a spot in class. Well, what if it's your most popular class time, right? And that thing sells out. And now you have actual paying loyal members who couldn't get in because you had three or four prospects. And that, that gets into, you know, operational logistics. How many prospects do you allow to book per class, right? Yeah. Do you allow six? Do you allow two? I've always found two is the most any of my teams have ever been able to sell at one time successfully. Uh, Orange Theory does too. It just, it allows the, whoever the person on site is to actually have really good. You ever try to do a group sale? You have six people like, okay, all six of you that just showed up, but you're not together. Let's all, let me go give you this tour. And I can't really spend that good one-on-one -on -one time with people and get to know them and make a joke about sports or something related to their life or whatever it may be. Yeah. The, a couple lessons learned for us, you know, the, the three for three was good. The three for 30 is where we're at today. Um, to just get a little bit more buy-in. So I just want to make sure we, we acknowledge that, that we shifted from like a free trial to now, like you said, Stu, someone has to put in their credit card, take that step. And we really haven't seen, and Gabe, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've really seen like a huge drop-off. Like if someone's no. going to- it, right? it, was, it was the opposite. We had our incoming leads the first month we ran it 3X. Um, and I think a big part of it was that, you know, we were really promoting it as- like, you know, hey, this is a steal. You're getting three classes. It's a $60 value of what we charge drop-ins for three bucks. Whereas before, yes, you could take a free trial class, but I feel like, you know, the psychology of that is always, well, I'm taking this free class because I'm going to be sold to, as opposed to, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm taking advantage of this deal that again is just going to get people in the door, which is what we want. Are you guys running yeah. paid ads? 
we we've experimented with it a little bit, but we aren't currently. The nice thing about that, once you do, now your client or your you know this acquisition cost is now offset by that thirty bucks because mm -hmm. you will right. have people who buy and never come in, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you follow up. It's called the Groupon rule; they will never come in and utilize it. And the cash coming in at least helps you guys offset some of that initial CAC cost. That's right. Yeah. Something else we've done recently, and I think has been helpful, is you know uh, you actually hit the nail on the head, Stu. We have class reservations now, and 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 this was a byproduct of COVID. COVID came, rocked our world, and we had been thinking about having reservations for a while because we have some classes that were just packed, and it wasn't a good experience. Doing class reservations and also accompanying that with a fee, if you you know if if it's a no show fee, has been really helpful for us uh, at NC Fit. I think that. It's a big hurdle to overcome, right? Similar to like the idea that, hey, you can't drop bars. That was a big hurdle for us to overcome. But once we implemented it and we explained the why and we did it with a level of care, it's been really helpful for our business in both of those ways, right? Like uh, you don't have pissed off neighbors as much, uh, but more importantly from the reservation system, it sets the expectation. What we've actually seen now is that especially at classes that are more like peak times, it's creating this sense of demand and it's actually building on it. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a big adjustment culturally that I'm glad we did because it helps us out. Like what you're saying, now people know what leads are coming into the class. We're tracking each member. Everything is known ahead of time and we have those cancellation fees adjusted with it. So if a gym owner is out there thinking about doing that, it has been really helpful for us. It's not easy, but it has been good. And that's selling. You guys are to wrap it, you know, to kind of bring it back around. You guys are having to constantly sell even current members who are already paying you on the changes you're making as a business. This idea that we're going to run our businesses for 30 years and never make significant changes to it that will be you know, maybe unsettling at first to customers is absolutely crazy. We're always going to. We're going to find better ways to do this. This whole micro jam boutique thing is so young so young, right? Like you come, you know, switching over from AC, credit card to ACH. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. But like, that's an idea that companies were doing 35 years ago. Like we're just slowly catching on to some yeah. of this stuff now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I belong to a, a place for my mother-in-law to swim and they only do ACH. And uh, it, it bothers me, but it's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, it was just so old school about them, but it's fine. It, it's a good option if people want to take that route. I think, uh, you know, hey, do you think you coined, it's funny, I was listening to your podcast, you said micro gym that yeah. uh, you you uh, coined that. you yeah. created the term or what? I didn't create it. The term was actually used, there's a company, I believe they're in the, I believe they're in Europe. It's a company called micro gym and essentially it was green space fitness centers outdoors. And, but what I needed to do, I came from Globo Gym. And if you remember, Jace, back 2008, six, seven, there was only two real models out there. Curves had came and popped and died, if anyone follows the, the history of the fitness industry. But it was just big box health clubs, Globo Gym, you know, from Dodgeball. And then, but we didn't really call things boutique then. Like, you know, until Orange Theory really showed up in, you know, around 2012, 13, you didn't really call things boutique. You know, maybe like the spin studios and yoga. But now that gyms are now in retail locations, I just needed the terminology and I just... I just landed on on micro gym and just to, to explain that sector of a brick and mortar fitness facility that sells its services on a small to medium scale. Yeah, micro gym, whatever the hell that is, right? I think that was the quote. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I love it, man. So speaking of micro gyms, you know, I, I, I like to think that 
um, we try and be in tune in the fitness space because we are in the fitness industry, fitness space. We are not in just the CrossFit space or whatever. We could learn from a lot of different businesses. And, and for any gym owner, if you are not exposing yourself to what other gyms are doing, like Metabolic or Orange Theory or F45, look, you might go in there and have a, you might be like, dude, I'm never doing that at my gym. Great. At least you learn what you don't want to do. Or maybe you'll pick up on some things, you know, and, and I think Gabe does a good job of trying to pick up pieces from other industries. I mean, other businesses within our industry. So I'm curious, uh, you know, because you've been doing consulting and you've been around the fitness space, I like to think of, you know, I think that you educate yourself more than most people on other models. What are you seeing occurring now? Cause like, and maybe this, uh, I was at a charity event on Saturday night and they described it as this is not a recovery. This is a Renaissance. And I was at a place that was like an art. So it kind of like worked with what they were saying. Yeah. So it was like, no, they're art. right though, but they're right. This is not a recovery. This is a Renaissance. And when I thought about that, I ended up Googling, you know, I was going deep in like Renaissance era and all this stuff. But what I think about is like this rejuvenation, right? It's, it's, it's going to be the next three to five years are going to be like gangbusters for brick and mortar. It's going to be this Renaissance where like creative ideas, concepts, people come together. They've been missing these things. What are you seeing? Yeah. When and times are, you are good, <laughs> no, no, this, no, it's perfect because Jace is right. When times are good, it, there's less motivation to innovate. When times suck, innovation is key. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm proud of the fact that I was, I believe, and again, I've, no one's been able to show me otherwise, and I'd be totally good with it. But I created the first in-place model, and in-place model is what yoga and spin studios have. So I had a barbell-based group strength and conditioning program as urban movement that was in place. You selected a spot on the app, and that was your spot, and you never left it. And I just interviewed yesterday, and for everyone listening, he's uh, he's a great owner. He's a, a cross-affiliate owner. His name's Stephen Hitt, and he owns Industrious. Industrious is out of Washington, right there in the PNW on your guys' side of the world. And he, due to COVID, like everyone else, everyone took little blue tape or whatever, gaffer's tape, and we all made our squares. That was exactly what like Urban had done. And I got roasted for it. I mean, I got made fun of by colleagues that we all know very heavily when I did all that. Um, and then COVID came and it made more sense. But then once COVID came, a lot of gyms got rid of that in-place model, like having your own dedicated space. Steven went all in on it. He created what he called a halo. And essentially, Halo is 169 square feet. You have a rogue, standalone, freestanding monster rack, squat rack, pull-up bar. You've got a assault runner. You have a rower. You have a Concept 2 bike. You have a bench. You've got a, a mini rack of dumbbells, kettlebells, slam ball, med ball. You have everything you ever would need in this sector. If anyone's seen a collegiate strength and conditioning room where just stations of awesome racks laid out, that's what he's created in a GPP commercialized model and now he's franchising it i just had him on the podcast yesterday i'm gonna fly out there and go get my camera on this and get some storytelling over there but with that's what i'm to answer your question jace it's gonna be an evolution from this what i call the chicken with its head cut off model like crossfit's just like everyone just kind of running around and just find a spot on the floor i mean it's ingenious like I, early on, I had lanes of uh, lifting platforms, but they just went down the down the whole building. So the entire floor looked like a kind of like a, a check a checkboard. And but th that was for spatial awareness. Like you had to stand there. You have to stand there for organization. I think we're going to see this in place model get very popular because you can drastically increase the amount of money you make by doing nothing else, but by perfectly controlling the environment and the class cap in which you live in. 
And he just did it. Like I got rid of everything. I got rid of the seven foot pull-up bar. I got rid of the pull-up break. I like minimized it. He gave you everything in one spot. And I think it's going to inspire a lot of other gym owners to kind of steal his idea. You did, um, you did rings, right? We, yeah, we hung rings. Cause you know, uh, that was the thing. I, every square that I had, I had an eight by six. 48 square feet is what we gave people. And you had two sets of rings. You had a set of rings about eight feet high for you to jump to if you could do pull-ups. And then you had a low set of rings in case you would select that spot and you couldn't do pull-ups yet. You were doing your modifications and things like that. Got it. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting, the model that he's referring to and even yours. It's something that we've been thinking about a lot over the years is that traditional CrossFit, you're, it, it's hard to accommodate large classes because there's so much movement and and like, for example, rope climbs, that'd be a, it's a nightmare. And so, and, or how many GHDs, whatever. And so our programming has kind of evolved over the years to be more indicative of larger classes as well. And we're shifting yeah. that direction too. Now we're, I don't think we're going to go in the direction of like, Hey, this is your square. I, I although I see value in that model, I think our model is going to be more fundamental strength conditioning. We're going to reduce the level of complexity. I think that we are, we have our Metcon, our NCX, and we have our NC flex. And I think where we're trending is really going to be in this idea of just a solid strength conditioning program. And if people yeah. have desires to go do complexity, they could do that during open gym or, or elsewhere, but that'll also help us accommodate more people because you're not going to need to have, you know, tons of space for these kind of odd object type things. But it's the finite. That's the, uh, it's the knowing. So for example, for Steven now, He's going and looking at his third location, and that goes in that location at 6,000 square feet. Divide that by 169 or whatever the usable floor. He knows exactly what he can fit in there. Another great example for anyone listening uh, that I've had the pleasure of working with, Ragin Fitness Co. out of Louisiana. Same thing. He had a long rectangle, and he got those mini, like, fold-in rigs, like the ones that fold up against the wall. And now everyone has a rig. Everyone has a barbell, a set of plates, and that pull-up bar. And then they all – there's, like, uh, every, for every – I think station there's like maybe an echo bike or a C2, you know, erg or something like that. But bottom line is like that. The only reason I see that is very valuable for people who are maybe looking to expand and replicate and they want to be able to predict, well, Oh, you want to get a 9,000 square foot spot. Well, this is how many people you could fit in there. And then this becomes your revenue. Cause we are all capped in the amount of revenue, our bottleneck. I don't care who you are, yoga to CrossFit and how many people you can service in any given hour. We are airlines more than we are gyms. We truly are. And when people unlock their brain and think of their business as I have X amount of seats to sell, not, well, Stu, on this chipper workout, we can have 32 people, but on this one workout, we can only have 16. Like that's, a, that's not a business I want to run. I'd like to run something that's got some predictability to it. Yeah, for sure. And that's where our programming is shifted towards too, because we own and operate gyms and we need to be able to accommodate large class sizes to create any level of profitability, right? You know, I, I know we're coming up at the end of our hour and just one thing that that I'd like to at least wrap this conversation up with. And I think it's so, so, so important. And Stu, you've done a really good job, I think, at bringing awareness to, you know, thinking about things this way. Sorry. I'm going to have to go on mute for a second. I'll, Jay, I'll let you take it and then I'll finish. So, so Gabe, I, I want to hear what Gabe has to say, but Gabe yeah. lives on a ranch. And oh, I know. I watched the videos. I've seen it. Dude. So he's got like a legit ranch, but he has like these dogs. And uh, when I stayed at his house, he goes, dude, the dogs will just like, they protect us at night. So they'll stay by my house. But he also has an airstream on his property. But I don't know if like they felt like they needed to protect me also. But what he didn't <laughs> tell me is that he sleeps with, with um, earplugs in, right? Uh, because the dogs will bark at all different things to keep like the 
wolves yeah, away yeah, from yeah. the animals. But he didn't tell me wolves. that. The wolves. So you're sleep. Were you sleeping there? I was in the airstream, and it's just whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I didn't. Get... <laughs> we got to get him some guest earplugs. Yeah, we got to get the guest. Yeah, yeah we should, should probably let you know. But what, what I was gonna say is, people really unlocking their brains, like you said, to how much we can learn from other players in the fitness space. And to the specific topic we talked about today, sales, I think we can all admit that in the CrossFit space specifically, there isn't a lot of good sales going on. Like that's one of the areas where gym owners are extremely lacking. So to not want to look outside to the F45 and the Orange Theories, other models that have proven that, you know, if any, think whatever you want about their fitness model, those guys can sell. They can sell and they can market. So to not have kind of an open viewpoint to, hey, what can we take from those models? Because, hey, we do CrossFit and that's better, I think is, is super limiting and something that we should change. I agree. Dude. Well, Stu, we could always, we could rap about, we could rap, I could rap with you all day, every day about all things fitness because uh, we're just suckers for the fitness space, man. And I'm, I'm in particular a sucker for the, the business of fitness. And I want to see as many people in our industry thrive provide for their families, provide for other coaches, family. And it's through conversations like this. Like we need to get out of this silo of just thinking like, like what, what do you talk about? Uh, CrossFit is a, um, is, is not a business model. Is that what you, what, what yeah, CrossFit's is it? a fitness model, not a business model. So CrossFit and spin and MMA and rock climbing are all fitness methodologies. They're not business models. So anyone who's out there that goes, well, no, I'm CrossFit. So we do it like this. It's one of the reasons you are not going to be standing on any podium business-wise uh, in the near future because you think your fitness model is special, which it is, but it's not. Your business model is not. Your business model is the same one shared by the the um, brick-and-mortar massage salon down the street. Similar business model. In-service, chiropractors, physical therapists, we all very, very similar business models. It doesn't matter how you swing barbells or whether you use yoga mats or kettlebells or whatever. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, Hey, dude, we got to have you back with uh, Gabe and I always love rapping with you. Um, you know, you got a lot of different things going on with your real estate play with, with, so with your podcast, uh, you know, you, you put out a lot of content for gym owners as well. What's the best place. I mean, and, and what are you really into right now? I I know the, the real estate's a big piece of it Yeah. after, you know, your proper, you, after you retired, retired, from, retired. Gym owner. And I work, yeah. And I, I travel and work more now than I ever did. Um, yeah. So at WTF gym talk is kind of the business handle guys. Feel free to pop on there anywhere on the interwebs. We'll direct you there. Uh, the gym real estate co is what I do to help gym owners lease and buy buildings. Um, and, and that that's essentially it. And then I just started blogging about what I do for fitness now with the whole respect, the tempo thing. And that's just been a fun way to create content that I'll never have to monetize. Um, so that, that, but beyond that, man, that's it. And it's, it's always great to jam with you guys. And I, I appreciate again, uh, as such an industry leader as you guys are always having the open mindedness and I mean, having the team members on the team that have the open mindedness, Gabe's always been great. And we'll always talk in the DMS and stuff. And I think, uh, I'm real excited for what you guys continue to do. And, uh, I'm real excited for you guys to create a very cool case study for not only your partner gyms with this sales manager role, but I think other gym owners are going to listen to this and be like, fuck, that's a good idea. I need to research that. Yeah. Well, as I told you before, we're going to be, you know, give us a few more months. And then I also want to put out some content in regards to revenue, right? Going from a lot to none to back up to a lot, right? I want to be able to show that. Like, we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to show it. We're going to be like, Hey, we were doing this in revenue. COVID hit. We did zero. And now can you rebuild it? And, um, we're not quite where we need to be, but we're getting close. So, 
All right, brother. Well, hey, really appreciate your time, Stu. You're always the man. Gabe, you're looking, you're looking great. I hope you have an amazing time uh, on your, your honeymoon coming up. And uh, <laughs> I'll talk to you both soon.